holiness in a hostile world, or more specifically in Paul's illustration, sexual holiness in a hostile world. Societies throughout the globe live according to codes. Every time we get into our cars and go for a ride, we are required to stop at the stop signs, whether you do or not, I don't know, but or at the red lights. We are required to obey the speed limits and travel the right way around the roundabouts, which islanders seem to have a problem of adjusting to. We're all aware that when one of the above codes gets broken, it affects other people. Running the stop sign or the red light might lead into a tragic collision with another automobile, resulting in death or a serious injury. Even today in a world where many dislike codes and laws, we get upset. When somebody crosses that line where the code says, do not cross, and it begins to affect us. Somebody steals our money, somebody crosses the line and abuses our children, somebody crosses the line and damages our property. It's only when we become victimized that we begin to appreciate the codes that protect us, and we forget about defunding the police. The bottom line is that we all live by some type of code, which in turn provides a framework for our lives and a future framework for our society of how we can live the good life. Not the prosperous life, not the successful life, but the good life that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. These codes embrace our relationships, the decisions we make, and our covenantal faith in God. Because we're made in the image of God, we have a freedom. We have the free will to obey God or disobey God, to live according to God's code or against God's code. It's all in your rule of, of ram or your rule of living where you abide. In the Hebrew Bible, we have the book of Leviticus, which is a good book to read. Its language seems out of date for us in the contemporary culture. It's full of codes. It's full of ritual. There's hardly any narrative or story in the book of Leviticus. But it's here that we find these words, be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And Rabbi Sachs says something very important here. He says, it contains one of the most remarkable of all religious ideas that we're summoned to be holy because God is holy. In other words, we're not only made in God's image. We are reflectors of God. We have the freedom that God has. We have the ability to rule and direct people according to the code because we're made like God and we can create like God. But then he says, we're also called to act in God's ways. Hello? We're made in God's image, and we're to act in God's ways. That's holiness, in Christ's ways. In calling us to be holy, God is calling us to realign our lives with a story, God's story. To realign our lives with the story of his son, Jesus Christ, who is now King Jesus. And King Jesus has a kingdom, and a king rules, and a ruler has codes in which we are to follow him in spirit and truth. And we are to live within the story of the Holy Spirit. Bruce Hydemarch says something very important. It's not enough to have a reframed understanding of the biblical story. What he means here is, it's not enough to say, I look at a picture and picture the frame, and there's the story of God inside that picture. And all we do as followers of Jesus is look at the framework. 
of that picture. This is what he says. We must be pulled through the frame into the story of God and Jesus and the Spirit and then be taken breathless by his presence and our encounter with him that we become transformed. So it's not just enough to look at Jesus and see Jesus. It's to enter into the story of Jesus and be transformed by it from the inside out. The place we begin the life of holiness is not our point of surrender, too man-centered, too sin-centered. We talk so much about sin and we push Jesus out of our lives instead of being focused on Christ, his adequacy, his sufficiency, his, his power to transform us. It seems we don't believe that anymore. The place to begin is always with Jesus, always with Jesus. You know, you really don't know what sin is until you've been delivered from that life. Because you think nothing of it. You don't have those feelings, oh, am I going to do something wrong or not? Who cares about codes? Because I don't care about Jesus. It is Christ who changes the limits of the possible, my friends, when we talk about holiness. It's Christ that can take those impossible things that you think I can never become and make you into that person. You need to trust God in those situations. And until we discover the beauty of Christ's holiness, because it is beautiful, it will remain painted as something oppressive of merely codes and rules, and we forget about what we're called to do. Go through that frame and begin to live the Jesus life. Hello? Then you will find it captivating and liberating. Paul Holiness is a life that pleases God. Remember we talked about that in chapter 2? Paul received a report from Timothy. That's what this letter is based on. He's bringing to the knowledge and to the awareness of the church in Thessalonica that Timothy went there and he reported back to him and now he's written a letter to them. And he's very concerned. And, he's, and for Paul, pleasing God is not merely our doing, but our being. In other words, we step through the frame and we are becoming engaged and engulfed and enveloped and embraced by the story of Jesus. Our new identity is in him. We are a new creation. We are to conduct all of our life in relationship to Christ in our being in him. And Paul says, we are to live our lives in order to please God. Not to please my wife. I already mentioned that last time. To please God primarily. And in pleasing God, I will please my wife. Augustine, the church father, says, love God and do what you please. But what he meant that if you really love God, you would do what he, ple he pleases and what he desires. And he begins to encourage the Thessalonians. He says, you're doing this. Great. You're living a life that pleases God. And he begins to employ the image of walking with the word that in some of our translations is living. Because it has the idea of progress. It has the idea of a series of steps, one after another, heading in a particular direction. Remember these Jewish people, their history and Israel's history is one of walking with God. One of spending 40 years walking in the desert. So they understand this image of walking, of putting one foot in front of another foot in order that you may reach the promised land, in order that we may see Jesus one day. Remember, this is also part of this letter that Pastor Betty will touch on next week about the coming of the Lord, the return of the Lord. So as you're walking that life that is worthy of the calling that you have in Jesus Christ, 
You walk with purpose. You walk with integrity. You walk in the story of Jesus because the story of Jesus has engulfed you. The holy life is one of consistently and of good steady walking towards God's future that has already begun in Christ Jesus. Paul challenges them, keep it up. Keep it up, you're doing a good job. This is a word of encouragement. But with encouragement comes also attention to the faults that he, he receives in the report. And he's setting them up. So here's the question, how do we please God? How do we please God? Which codes do we live according to to please God? Do we make our own codes? Do we add codes upon codes and thinking that that's the way we please God? Or do we really follow the scripture norm and teaching of how we please God? See, the evidence of pleasing God throughout scripture, and even in the book of Leviticus, is always found in how we conduct our lives with other people. It's all relational-based, how we conduct our lives with other people, how we treat other people, how we love other people, how we care for other people, how we stand up for each other. The life of holiness is wrapped up in that communal living because if it's not, it's not holiness. It's not holiness. There is no other way other than in community holiness with each other. Paul says, holiness is the will of God for humanity. Many people often ask, what's the will of God? Who shall I marry? Who shall I not marry? And where, where should I go? Where should I not work? And, you know, you can make the wrong choice of that, and you can still live with it, and Jesus will still love you. But the will of God is His holiness, and when you refuse to live the holy life, you refuse the offer of God. You refuse what He's offering you, the story of Jesus, that you walk into that story, and you begin to live like Jesus, you begin to act like God, like the rabbi said. The will of God is your sanctification. <laughs> Blank. How could you shake that off? How could you think that's only something for certain saints once they die and get elected by a council to become one? Paul begins with an appeal to the will of God. That's how you please God. In other words, act in God's ways. This is not Paul's opinion. And this is not the Church of the Nazarene's opinion. Whether we're a holiness church or not is irrelevant. What here? This is God's will for you, your holiness. Three times in the letter, Paul talks about this holy life and what it means. The call to be holy is still relevant for our society today. Hello? Anybody agree? Back in Corinthians, Paul says, Christ is our sanctification. Christ. He's the measuring rod of all that we are and all that we do. When we enter through that frame of Jesus' story and we begin to live like Jesus, holiness does not remove us from the world. Hello? But it enables us, it empowers us to live God-pleasing lives in the world. Holiness is not a badge for certain people, but for all of God's people. It's not a privatized experience. Remember what I said a few weeks ago? Our holy, our holy life and our life with Jesus is never private. Personal and, and an avoidable expression as a missional outreach to others, but it's never meant to be just me and Jesus on the road to Jericho. No. It's open life for all to see. People, relationships. Back to the question. How do we please God? Holiness is a life that requires sexual purity. 
These are Paul's words. Pastor Betty's translation said fornication, where we get the word pornography, pornea, there. For Paul, holiness touches all areas of life, including our sexuality. And why does sexual holiness matter to Paul? Why should he care? Why does he even bring it up? In a culture where anything went in Paul's days, the Greco-Roman culture, Paul is beginning to lay down some codes according to his Judaism, his faith, and the Hebrew way of life in Judaism that was different from the Gentile world. They honored the marriage. They honored the marriage bed. They honored the sexual life. The rest of the nations in Paul's day, anything goes sex was tolerated. In the ancient world, Gentile adultery was also connected with sexual immorality. So when they went to the temples, there was sexual acts in the temple. And that was part of their worship, part of their sacrificing, and all that that goes with it. And Paul says, you've been delivered from those idols in chapter 1. And this is what he's referring to, and as as he's pointing chapter 4 back to chapter 1 there to connect the points in his letter. You've been delivered from that life. And adultery is, is what we worship because of the greed of our hearts. Because what we long for, like Adam and Eve wanted that sacred object that they didn't have knowledge of the good and evil. They wanted what they couldn't have, and they went for it. So Paul is telling them, you've been delivered from that. Why would you want to go back? Why does Paul focus on sex? Was there something in Timothy's report that alluded to someone that was involved in sexual morality? Was there something about adultery or whatever? We don't know, and Paul's wise, he doesn't tell us. Don't you like that? Because he doesn't want us to get caught up on what he's going to point out. He wants us to remember to check our own hearts and see if we're pure in our sexual life. Paul brings it up. He's kind of tame here compared to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when he he threatens to throw the person involved in sexual impurity out of the church. He's bothered. He's full of anxiety. He knows something's wrong, and, and he, he doesn't want to push it under a rug or table it for future reference because dare we tell someone or speak to somebody about sexual impurity. Paul's not acting as a moral policeman. He's not wagging his finger. He's trying us to get us to live like Jesus, holy before God. Three Pacifics are highlighted in the letter, sexual morality is to be avoided in a world where wide rage sex and outside of marriage is tolerated. When they dug up the ruins of Pompeii, murals and frescoes of sexual acts were not only found in the brothels of their day, which was widespread and it was everywhere for everyone to see, even little kids. But even in the dining rooms and the restaurants, they had murals and frescoes of sexual acts and people engaged in them. We think that this is all new stuff. It's not. This is how they lived in those days. And everyone's seen it. He says, do not engage in that lifestyle. Then he says that we should control our bodies, control our hormones, and control our bodies because we're to honor it. Because we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. We're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Are we not? Honor the body. 
And then he says, sexual immorality hurts other people. People get exploited through this immorality, through this life of impurity. People might get raped and there's consequences and mental health and anxiety and all the rest that follows with it. I think you have enough imagination to understand what I'm saying. Brokenness of marriages and so on and so on. The pain sexual immorality inflicts on others is largely denied by many. Look at the recent sex scandals in the church and outside of the church and everybody said it was consensual. Yeah, to the person that's being accused, it's always consensual. But that's Talk to the person that's been victimized. See, the effect of an immoral life is evident in the lives of those affected by adultery and other sexual impurities, broken homes, broken lives. Our world is full of this. Talk to the counselors of this day and you will find that. Go visit somebody in a high school and it's there. Go visit elementary school people and it's there. We need to pray for sexual purity in our culture. In Scripture, we have the story of Joseph. Joseph, after being abandoned by his brothers and left for dead, finds himself in charge of Potiphar's household. And Potiphar's wife has the hots for Joseph, the young, handsome son of Jacob. She attempts on numerous occasions to seduce Joseph. And one day, she has him cornered, and Joseph runs as far as he can from her. Wise guy, right? She screams rape, it's a false charge, but she's the boss's wife. And Joseph paid the price for his sexual purity. Not impurity, he paid the price for his sexual purity. Why would he risk the pleasure of a moment to compromise his integrity or his relationship with God and Potiphar? Joseph knew that having an affair with Potiphar's wife would hurt his relationship and trust with Potiphar, who, who entrusted so much to Joseph an outsider. Joseph avoided sexual immorality. He controlled his body. He did not insult his boss or he did not shame his boss or dishonor his boss by an act of sexual immorality of being seduced by the boss's wife. He remained pure and full of integrity. Then we have another man, David. David, story in Bathsheba. David should have been at war with his people, with his men. But he decided to stay behind, and he went outside, and he looked over the rooftop, and from a distance, he's seen a beautiful woman bathing. And he focuses on this woman, and she, he knew that she was another man's wife, but he lusted for her nonetheless. He didn't control his urges. We know the story. King David got up what he got what he longed for, and he did not control his body urges. The woman gets pregnant with David's child, so David schemes for her children to sleep with his wife, for her husband to sleep with his wife, Uriah. So it'll look like it's Uriah's child, but we all know it's David's child. The man has integrity, stands outside the house, refuses to sleep with his wife because the other men are on the battlefield risking their life for Israel, and here I am home with my wife. So then David gets wise and sends the woman's husband to fight in a war where death was inevitable and the man dies. Then David takes Bathsheba as his wife and the baby is born. The baby becomes ill and sick. David prays, David fast for a miracle, talking to the waymaker, but guess what? The child still dies. What do we learn from the lesson of David? We learn the following. When we confuse God's will with our will, 
We turn the holy, the source of life, into something unholy in the source of death. Hello? When we do our will instead of the Lord's will, when we decide to live an unholy life instead of a holy life, we enter the realm of death instead of the realm of life, and that's what the gospel of Christ is all about. Pure motivation, issues, and behavior with integrity in the life of Joseph, not so in the life of David. But thank God for his grace. And this is not an excuse for sexual immorality because David lost something because of taking his will instead of doing God's will. We know from Psalm 51 that David approaches God and is forgiven. And this is what Paul wants us to learn. It's an adulterous, passionate lust that Paul opposes, not sexual pleasure. Hello? The new morality of anything goes today is nothing more than the old immorality of the Greco-Roman world up to date. So we're no farther ahead today than, than when the gospel first was proclaimed in ancient Rome and its empire. People are living the same way. Why? Because we're human beings. We got freedom to make a choice, and some people still decide to live that lifestyle. Remember that this passage originates with the call to please God. Remember this is about pleasing God. It's not so much about the sexual holiness, which that is a great part of the passage, but how do we please God? Because if we don't ask the question, what is pleasing to God, then we'll be doing whatever we want instead of what God wants. And what we do that is outside the will of God will often bring death. Death. Not so much death of a person, but death of circumstances, finances, whatever. In Scripture, sexuality is a gift from God. Like all good gifts, it's given for a purpose. It's given for procreation and recreation, Okay? So sex is a gift. This is where my daughter would just bow down and say, well, I hope he gets through this quick. Okay. <laughs> it's in the Bible. We have to talk about it, folks. You can't just push it under the rug. Sex is a gift from God from the get-go. Be fruitful and multiply. Amen? To the songs of Psalms, where we discover that God wants us to express our sexuality, our process, recreation. Procreation, recreation. You got that? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul tells us not to deprive our wives of intimacy or our husbands, but to enjoy it within the confines of marriage. The witness of Scripture is that holy sex in its proper context is okay with God. Hello? Hello? Some of you are blushing. It's here, all over the place. Have you entered into the framework of the Jesus story? See, Paul's advice, control sexual impurity, goes beyond a simple, don't do it. It's not about wagging the finger as a moral policeman, but get far away as possible from that lifestyle. In the National Post yesterday, there was an article that said 550 people got COVID-19 because they went to Brass Rail Strip Joint in Toronto. 550 people, which also had interactive dancing. Your imagination can go wherever it wants there. There's consequences to sexual immorality and impurity. Someone that called us and says, I know I shouldn't have done it, but I cheated on my wife, and now I got gonorrhea. There's consequences to a life of sexual impurity. 
Because not only that he received it from outside contact, but now you can bring that into your own marriage. How many people are going to be destroyed because of that? Do you understand why Hebrews says, keep the marriage bed pure? Pure. Well, we live in a day when a lot of people will just like to strand that fence between the holy and the holy. And they're more on the unholy side than the holy side. And they're moving closer and closer to the border instead of staying away from the unholy side. And for some people's lives, you almost need a, a video review to see if they're onside or offside when it comes to sexual immorality. See, the Thessalonians knew better. Timothy's report revealed something that Paul says, you know, they know better. And let's just keep them up to date. They're living the life that pleased God, but they need to be corrected when they're young, not when they get old, <laughs> like some of us. What happened to, in our lives? We weren't all saved, but thank God for His grace, right? See, the biblical story is about God and human nature. It's not a debate about science and so on. You know why? Because only humanity has freedom. Science, the world of nature, mother nature, doesn't have no freedom. It cannot make any choices. It can only evolve into what all those different ingredients are working for and change. But you, as a human being, made in the image of God, called to act in the way of God, you have freedom to make a decision. The rest of the world doesn't have that freedom, but you do. What code are you going to live with? God's? Or your own. Your own will lead to death. See, holiness about people made in the image of God, people acting in the image of God. Jesus said, learn to live like this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, it's not about the temple. It's not about the Sabbath keeping. It's not even about scripture. It's about people. Holiness is about people. When Jesus says, Follow me. What does it mean? Just going after Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, wherever you go. No. There's something, there's some codes behind following Jesus. In other words, we are to value what Jesus values. Other human beings made in the image of God. To prioritize what Jesus prioritizes. To engage with the Father as Jesus engaged in the Father. To follow him is to deny yourself like he did and went to the cross on our behalf. He died so that we might live. The gospel of Jesus Christ is more than forgiveness. It's about life. We were dead in our sin, but Jesus died and now we have life. Life. Oh, my. What did Pastor Betty say in the first week? Not that we will survive but that we might thrive, thrive as a human being that cares for other people, that will not bypass or trespass the will of God for our own sake and our own glory and create division instead of unity. God created order out of chaos. Man sins and brings chaos back in. And then when we get to Noah, there's chaos again, and God says, we're going to start fresh with Noah. So he brings back order. And guess what? Chaos comes again. And then they find themselves in Egypt, and God comes and he delivers them, and he's going to bring them to a place where, where they receive these, these books of the Torah, and, and Joshua has to lead them into the promised land. 
and, and no less than 40 days after God delivered them through the Red Sea, they built a golden calf and resort back to idolatry. If we don't watch where we stand close to God, it can happen to us. Paul says it himself. Hey, be careful. You who think that you got it all made up. And the way that they fell, you can fall too. None of us are immune to that. Holiness is the freedom to live the way God wants us to live. I like what Paul says. Holy living is more than just sexual purity. It's a life of avoiding exploitation of our neighbors. Hello? That's going on around the world today. And sadly, all we hear is about Trump, Trump, Trump. But the exploitation of innocent people and human trafficking and children, slavery, all over the world, the exploitation of other human beings made in the image of God, we're to avoid that and instead practice the art of loving one another. That's holiness. That's holiness. And I love the way Paul ends this letter. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject the human being, but God. You have a problem of loving your neighbor? You don't reject me or the church or someone else. You reject God, the very God who gives you the Holy Spirit. And what does the Holy Spirit is? And remember the creed, the apostle, the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, life, life. Does that mean that everything goes rosy in life? No. But no matter what comes my way, I know whom I have believed in. And I put my trust in him. So we're called to live a life that pleases God. Let's pray.